Welcome to the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show. I'm your host, Nathan Callanan, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jack Lynch. We're coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, where it is currently 5pm on Monday, the 28th of September. Before we get into it, don't forget to check us out on our social media pages. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, simply the Bronx Cheer Basketball, wherever you look. We're making some big announcements on this episode, JL. Huge ones. On today's show, we'll be looking over the conclusion of the conference finals, which is the East and the West. Thanks, mate. <laughs> and, I, and I just can't wait to get into those Eastern Conference finals. And also, we will be looking into the 2020 NBA finals. We'll preview that matchup. It's going to be a great show. It's time for tip-off. surprised by that and and the players are telling him not to be doing that once again welcome to the bronx cheer basketball show i am joined by (laughs) i've been waiting to say this a celtics fan you know i was almost gonna get like a play a song like you know you two beautiful day or something like that some celebratory song no I was so humble after the Celtics beat the 76ers. And now this is how you uh, So, Jack Lynch, Celtics fan, how are you? I've been better. Uh, jumping on this podcast certainly doesn't help. I was sort of in a decent mood. The sun was shining. I was having a cup of tea outside. And then I came in here to do some prep. And just everything is how the Celtics lost to Miami. And just my mood's going down south very quickly. We'll get on to the Boston and Miami series soon, but just quickly, since we last spoke, uh, the only real notable thing that happened uh, off the court was Billy Donovan uh, has agreed to a four-year deal with the Chicago Bulls to become their new head coach. I believe he is going to be earning something like six million US dollars per year for those next four years. What would you do with uh, six million dollars a year, JL? I wouldn't be on this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do a lot of things, but I'm just I'm just so happy for Zach Levine in that situation because we absolutely know how his relationship was with uh, with Boylan. So a new coach in the at the Bulls will hopefully change that that franchise around for the better. So yeah, there wasn't much else that happened off the court. I guess yeah, you could say uh, in the since the last time we spoke. So. Let's get straight into it. Miami-Boston Eastern Conference Finals. When we last spoke, uh, the series score was Miami 2-Boston 1 after three games. And since then, Miami won Game 4, Boston won Game 5, and Miami won Game 6. I know I asked you, how are you? But I guess, again, yeah, how did you you feel about the series? Shit. (laughs) Uh, look, I thought it was so it was so frustrating. I know I said this on the last podcast. 
that both teams could have been up to nothing after the first two games and Miami had that. Um, after game three in Boston, won that one quite convincingly, got a bit close towards the end. My mood improved a little bit. Um, game four, once again, just a bit of a shit show on the Celtics' behalf. And I still thought Boston were playing better basketball for the majority of those games. And it was just Miami were coming back. And then after game five, I stupidly had disbelief that Boston's going to do this. I thought, we just got to win game six and then it's a 50-50 chance in game seven. And we know how today went. Everything was... It was quite quite a good game, actually, for the most part. Um, Boston would sort of go on these... Well, Miami would go on these mini runs and then Boston would answer. Um, You know, it was sort of ranging between Miami go up eight and Boston would get back to within two, went up by one or three a few times. Then in the last quarter... um, yeah, Boston finally got a convincing lead, six points, I think it was at most, and then didn't score after that pretty much. So, look, overall, it was a fun series to watch. It was frustrating just in terms of matchups. I felt like Boston had to work a lot harder to score than Miami did. Um, I think that was mainly because of Bam. But, I mean, it is what it is. It was a good series. I still think that's it was closer than a six-game series, if that makes sense. I know six is pretty close, but the Celtics outscored Miami in total for the whole, you know, for the six games. Um, They led for the majority of the series. So it just shows, and I think it's partly to do do with three-point shooting, just how much it can vary game to game and how a, a playoff win doesn't necessarily mean that you've played better. It just might mean you've played better for a stretch of the game. Um. So, look, it is what it is. A bit disappointing as a Celtics fan. Um, and now I'm torn because I hate this Miami team and I'm supposed to hate the Lakers, but I like LeBron, which is sacrilegious for a Celtics fan. Um, so now I'm just in this shit position where I don't know what to do. Well, pretty much the main reason why I didn't actually come on to the podcast playing a celebratory song or anything stupid like that is because the Lakers did get through. And while I'm so happy that Boston... Uh, have been eliminated. Yes, uh, the the Lakers are obviously into those finals, so it's not happy all round. And uh, I I don't know what to say. There's there's a lot to say, but then there's so little. As we both thought, uh, this series was well. I still count it as as you said. It was it was still closer than than. You know, I guess it sort of looked like it was six games. You may say may not be justice for what the series actually was. It was a very close series between Boston and Miami. Uh, we were both wrong with our predictions. We both thought that Boston would would get over the line, and and I even thought that three one down they were going to win. You know, do the impossible Nugget style and come back and win it in seven. That's the worst part. I was confident too. <laughs> yeah. This Miami team, though, they, they're obviously just a very unique, especially for this deep in the playoffs, they're just a unique definition of a team-based force. And your NBA following uh, tenure goes back a lot further than mine. When was the last time in the NBA Finals that, not both of the teams, or sort of, you know what I'm saying, it's hard to describe, but we've got one team that does have the, the superstars, but 
as good as Jimmy is and as good as their team is, the Heat aren't a superstar-based team. They, and I wouldn't say they even have one. Like, for example, the LeBron Cavs, um, when Kyrie left, they still had LeBron who was, no matter how easily the Warriors were eventually going to destroy them in the finals, LeBron was not going to be beaten in the East. But this is not what we have right now. When was the last time that we we sort of had this scenario? To answer your question, the last time that we haven't really had a superstar would probably probably be the 2004 Pistons. Um, Chauncey Billups won finals MVP, but he wasn't a superstar by all means. They just had, they're probably the best defensive team of all time and had, you know, seven, eight players contributing every single night. They're just a very interesting sort of phenomenon to watch. And it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, It goes without saying all their players that, you know, chip into their success, but especially Bam. He had 32 points, 14 rebounds in that game, six win today. You can say the names Dragic, Butler, of course, Hero, Robinson, uh, even even Iguodala, he hit four threes today. And it's just an all-round team finals berth. Well, if someone said to me before the playoffs that Miami were going to the finals from the fifth seed, I wouldn't have believed them. But if they said to me they would win the Eastern Conference finals with Butler as arguably their third best player, I never would have believed it. Like, never. But to me, I'd have Bam number one. You know, he led the led the team in scoring rebounds and assists and anchored their defense entirely. Then Dragic was number two in scoring and time and time again, he was the closer at the end of the games. And I think those two were more consistent, more aggressive and provided way more issues for Boston defensively than Butler did. And, you know, Dragic is 35. Bam was averaging eight points a game last year or whatever it was. I just, I never would have expected this. Not to mention Hero as well, the the rookie who was the thirteenth pick off memory, who Boston were Boston were dying to get and lost a coin flip to draft, which hurts me so much. But he was unbelievable. He was number three in scoring, just the runs he would go and buy himself. Um, and he's a built like even at the start of the season, he was a sort of three point shooter, then sort of as the year progressed, added the driving game. But these, these mid-range games come from nothing as well from where he was in October. So, yeah, like you said, incredible team win for the Heat. And it just goes to show like what the organization's doing because that's what they've always tried to preach. On to the Celtics, uh, your beloved Boston Celtics. And I just want to dive right into it. I'm sorry if you, if you get angry at me on this, JL. But let me just ask you this. Mainly talking Jalen and Jason. Are you just happy to sort of wait for them to become the force that, you know, in in this series, for example, knocks Miami out for one, which, you know, AD and LeBron might do? Well, provided everything works in terms of keeping them in Boston, which Brown's locked up for the next five years and Tatum will be when he signs this extension because we're going to offer him the max. So in terms of having the best young core in the league, I think it's probably the Celtics or the Nuggets in that aspect. So I'm confident that 
no matter really what happens outside those two guys, the Celtics will be able to get back to this position. Kemba's Kemba didn't have the series that anyone anyone wanted him to have except Miami. He was just throwing up bricks for the most part. But I think it, the Celtics aren't going to get worse. Kemba, yeah, he's aging, but he's still quite young. His game is not too. It's not based on athleticism or anything like that. He's quick, but it's not like he's super explosive. So I do think, yeah, it's a bit of a waiting game in a way. Let Brown and Tatum really get the keys to the offense. We're sort of Brad Stevens is sort of trying to share the load with, you know, if you look at the shot dis- distribution between Brown and Tatum and Kemba and Hayward, and then Smart probably a tier below them, it's all quite even. Whereas I think next year it's going to be like these are our two guys. Let's get them going and the rest will sort of fall into place. And why I asked you that question is to sort of spark this thought process of this topic uh, because this is what the Celtics are looking at for the next few years and who knows how long. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are very young, 22 and 23, and they're amazing players for their age. However, how high is their ceiling? And we're going to have to wait and see, and Celtics fans are going to have to trust, like I know you do, um, that their ceiling is high enough to be a championship uh, force to come in the future. But until then, Kemba Walker, I'm losing more and more trust in him. He's, I know Kyrie Irving was uh, toxic in the locker room, but he's not as good as Kyrie Irving. He's not uh, top 10 or even fringe top 10 like you can put Kyrie around those areas yeah I, I get you uh, so and I think it's tricky as well is because and I've thought this for a long time you go back through history winning in the playoffs with an undersized point guard is incredibly difficult and like Kemba isn't a bad defender by any means he works his ass off but at the end of the day he's still small and Miami would is able to hunt mismatches and get Butler on him time and time again um, and Boston would try and let Kemba hold his own rather than sending a double. So with by paying Kemba $30 million a year, it sort of does lock up the flexibility of the rest of the roster. So in terms of what will happen with Kemba, I think they'll give it another year or two, but there may be a tipping point where it's like, nah, we've got to ship him off and compliment Tatum and Brown, you know, with more pieces at a lower price. Let me pitch this to you. Giannis Antetokounmpo paired with the Boston Celtics general manager Danny Ainge, who's proven to be a very decent general manager, and Giannis also paired with Brad Stevens, the Boston Celtics head coach, who is arguably one of the best head coaches in the league. And I know Giannis is already surrounded by very good pieces, but let's just imagine that Danny Ainge gets to surround him in his own way, fitting in the salary caps. And let's do the same thing for Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Give him Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, and whoever Danny Ainge would surround Ben and Joel with. Are those two teams better than Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum in those scenarios? So I know Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are already living in that scenario, but let's say Danny Ainge could sort of just get a fresh start and sort of... uh, roll pieces around uh, Jason and Jalen again. All I'm trying to say is, in my opinion, Giannis, as much as I think he's overrated, and especially Joel and Ben, 
are a higher a higher quality than Jalen and Jason. Depends who you're pairing Giannis with, but I'm taking Tatum and Brown over Embiid and Simmons any day of the week. <sighs> uh, I guess I guess this is where it's just opinion, and I don't know. We can argue another time, but proven themselves. They can play out fourth quarters of games. They can both shoot the ball. They can both take it to the ring. They're both good at the free throw line. Tatum's passing abilities is getting better and better. I'm I'm sticking with my boys. Yeah, and it, it, it sounds shit because, you know, you're a Boston fan. I'm a Philly fan. It sounds like, oh, we're just going in and defending our teams. But And I'm not sure if you are, but it, it's I, I, I think even if I wasn't a Philly fan, you know, this is this is my uh, my view. I just think that Joel and Ben. It's a real shame that Giannis has that huge flaw and that uh, predictability coming into the playoffs, and also he seemed to succumb to uh, not huge minutes that he blames on Budenholzer. And also, it's a real shame that Joel and Ben have such a shit front office and obviously not very competent coaching because in the year that Kyrie and KD were both injured, I mean, this this was sort of coming, but I, I really hope that the Lakers don't absolutely blast the heat because how, how boring, honestly. The East was open this year. It was like well, a six-horse race, I suppose, a five-horse race, and... We've got Miami going through, which no one expected, as we've mentioned. But it's just, it's the NBA finals. And I just don't see how, when the Lakers will, for 38 of the 48 minutes of the game, they're going to have the two best players on the court. And then for the other minutes, they're going to have one of the best players on the court because they're not going to sit LeBron and AD together. And I don't want to make this episode or whatever about just trashing on teams but as you just said you know you're gonna have huge superstar power in the Lakers with LeBron and AD coming up against a very unique uh, finals approach team in the heat and and it's just a shame that these other Eastern Conference teams, as I keep saying, like Philly and Milwaukee, have been so not prepared for the postseason. I really hope that they they bolster up properly moving into the future. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to see Milwaukee and Giannis's flaws exploited ridiculously once we come to the, the playoffs and all the problems that are surrounding uh, Philadelphia and in the next few years all we're going to continue to see is LeBron AD probably you'd have to say the Clippers um, Kawhi and whoever he's with KD and Kyrie those three sort of setups just walk all over everyone when it comes down to the conference finals and the finals but uh, moving on, let's go on, get on to those Western Conference Finals. The Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers won yeah. it in five. They, of course, yeah. won the series 4-1, the same series score as their first two playoff series this season. I don't know what else to say. I sound like a broken record, but saw this coming from a mile away. Jokic and Murray, as good as they are, LeBron and AD, and if the... 
if the role players are hitting shots. Too good. What do you think, JL? I think, and like I said with the Celtics-Miami series, I think this is closer than 4-1 sort of suggests. Um, I think after the first four games, the actual series score was tied in terms of points per game, or points total, sorry, I should say. Um, and if it wasn't for that AD buzzer beater, you know, there's a good chance the Nuggets are up 2-1 after the first three games. So um, it was the result I expected, but it doesn't really show how close the actual series was. Um, but what a run by the Nuggets. I suppose that's the first thing we should talk about is giving them their, their credit where it's due because after the, after the Clippers series, it was what the Clippers did wrong. Whereas this is a great young team and I think they've got the tools to keep improving and I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the West for the next few years. The thing that makes me most excited, similar to what I just finished saying, Murray and Jokic are very good. And I know they're young and I know they're probably going to go up. Let's just say they're, they're both so good right now. They're probably going to go up at least a level, another level, and maybe another level and a half, you know, take themselves up the tiers in the best players in the league. But you can, nine times out of 10, you can tell the ceiling of players, especially of their age. And I don't think that they are good enough basically, to be the unstoppable force, the scary force of the league um, moving forward. But it is MPJ, and I don't mean to stereotype, but his body size and him looking like a wing and his shooting and just his confidence, everything. He, he is what I would be excited for if I was a Denver fan because I don't see Denver similar to... The, how I was talking about Boston. I don't see Denver being a very serious championship contender without a third star, either on the level of Jokic and Murray, or uh, especially if they can get someone above their level, which I think MPJ is that. Murray and Jokic don't give you those vibes? No, 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 no. Really? Because, I mean... Jamal Murray had a down year anyway, and I was sort of in the camp where that extension that the Nuggets gave him, which was 170 mil or something ridiculous, was going to be looking bad. But and it hadn't re- since his first year in the league, years two, three, and four, there wasn't really that much progression there. But geez, these playoffs, he looks like the real deal, and I think he's going to be one of the best point guards in the West for for a while now because, but from the playoffs, which is where it matters. He's averaging 26 and a half, almost five rebounds and just under, or just over six and a half assists on 51, 45 and 90. That is elite. And I don't know how sustainable that is, but it's a stepping stone to, to greatness. And then, I mean, I've been high on Jokic for a long time, but man, he is just something else. So in, in game two, when he had the Nuggets last 11 points, he just, to me, I, it's not the prettiest form of basketball, but he gets the job done. His passing ability just elevates his team. Um, his ability to score, he sh- shoots quite efficiently from three, so he stretches the floor. I think those two together, and I know that they, they will need MPJ to step up, and I think that will happen like you. I do see, 
I do see the raw talent he's got, and defensively, there's obviously some things he needs to work on. But the big shots he's hitting, I think he's going to be a superstar as well. But those two that I mentioned, Murray and Jokic, I reckon they are the real deal, and they're going to be the ones leading this team in the future. Like they've got these players that already sort of fit the timeline. They they help improve, you know, the the two superstars that I'm talking about. And I just think it's quite like a it's quite a complete lineup already. I don't think all that much needs to change, but Millsap's probably out the door. So there's an extra 28 million or whatever it is to use. Bol Bol, which I don't really rate that highly, but he's shown some flashes of being a quite an impactful player in the league. Dozier, who most people had never heard of before these playoffs. Yeah, he missed some big free throws in game four, was it? But his defense was fantastic. His energy was fantastic. He can shoot from outside. But Jeremy Grant is showing unreal improvement so far. Then you've got Gary Harris, who has sort of plateaued a little bit, but his defense has become incredible of late. Monte Morris is becoming a scorer, which... And he's a good shooter from outside, which sort of wasn't expected. Will Barton can score as a sixth man. And he was starting initially. Like they've got these pieces, which I think they might not be like the favorites going in to win the championship the next few years, but they're going to be contending for a while. And as we saw with the East this year, there are times where the the number one seed gets knocked out and, you know, there's a sneaky chance for someone else to come out of the out of the conference. And I think these Nuggets can sort of be that. I totally agree with everything you just said and and the point you made about like how Miami this season have made it all the way through to the to the finals because you know just sort of happens sometimes you know the big teams or whatever go down like the Bucks I definitely think that the 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 Nuggets as currently constructed and if you know M- MPJ or someone else doesn't take that leap for them as a third guy um I'm happy for them to go and win the championship and make the finals in those scenarios. And this, again, comes down to where you rate Giannis. I've made it clear that I think Giannis and the Bucs are a bit overrated. But any time that there's a LeBron-led team or a KD-led team in your way, in the Nuggets' way, this is where I think their ceiling is going to be without MPJ turning into that wing superstar. Or as you say, they use that... uh, 28 million cap space um, from Millsap to go get another third star. Without that leap or that new third player, I think that there's a bit of a a limit to how high the Nuggets can go, and that's that sort of that LeBron barrier that so many of these teams over the years happen to hit. It's all after MVJ, you reckon, hey? How's that for a bit of pressure for a rookie? <laughs> but anyway, uh, moving on, let's get to the purple and gold, the Los Angeles Lakers. They're pretty good. Uh, what else can you say about them? LeBron James, 38.16 rebounds, 10 assists in that game five yesterday to close it out. AD casually averaged 31 points per game for the for the series. What else can you say? LeBron's the best. They're the best. What do you got for the Lakers? It pains me how good they are um, because the last thing I wanted is to see a Lakers championship as a Celtic supporter. But, I mean, when you've got Davis playing as well as he is, and I 
I've always been high on Davis, but I didn't think he'd be able to be this consistently good in the playoffs. Um, just having such a good run so far. And then you're pairing that with LeBron, who is just cruising at the moment. He doesn't even look like he's working all that hard. And he's just somehow, as always, just putting up numbers. He's averaging, what, 27, 10 rebounds, nine assists for the conference finals. Like, and just over game five took over the last quarter. So I think he's still able to elevate to another level once, you know, once the finals begin. Davis will, but the, the Heat don't have, they've got Bam Adebayo, but he's their only big that they can really throw at Davis to try and slow him down. So I think Davis is going to have a big series as well, especially, you know, being able to show off his defensive versatility against Miami. So I, I don't know. I just think these this Lakers team is, is they're the real deal. They're locked in and like, an incredible Denver team where they just folded them over, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what else to say. I've thought that KCP, other than that, uh, what was it, game one of the Houston or Portland series that he had the the one 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 or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, I thought that KCP's, that he's been great. I don't really buy into the Howard and... And Rondo hype that everyone loves Rondo. Have you not seen the difference he's making in these games? Well, if you want to start really getting into it, and I know it's not that whatever of a stat, but if you look at the games uh, 3, 4, and 5, which is the three since the last time we spoke, of Rondo's plus minus, he's always in the negative, and that's including two wins. Plus minus means nothing. I've said that time and time again. Plus minus for single games means nothing. He's good, but he looks so much better than he really is because he's playing with LeBron and AD. Uh, I'm not going to praise Rondo and and Howard and these types when you play with um, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I'd rather praise someone like Jeremy Grant. Uh, for the for the efforts that he put up in that series, oh, Grant was incredible. Jeremy Grant, when Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic were weren't you know standing tall, he stood up and he you know he dropped a career high, uh, I think it was twenty six points or something like that in one of the games, and he not put them on his back, but yeah, he he stood tall and he you know he really didn't matter about his teammates and he sort of fought hard on his own will. LeBron and AD can can play by themselves. They don't even need anyone else on the court with them. That's what I was going to say, though, is when you mentioned how for the Nuggets to elevate, you need that wing. And wings are everything you want as a basketball team because they can bring the ball at the floor. They can go to work. Whereas if you've got a big man, it's and we've seen this from Davis, it's hard to get the... It takes time off the shot clock to get the big man the basketball. So when LeBron sits and you can inject Rondo into the lineup who's as good as a passer as LeBron it just means AD can go to work and that's the thing we've seen how many lobs he's thrown for him we've seen just how he's able to feed him in the post how when the defense collapses on AD he's able to kick it to you know Caruso in the corner or something like that his passing ability is just opening everyone else up but then he's shooting the ball well as well which no one really expected. He's shooting 45, 46% from three. If he's doing that, it just makes 
and I'm going to, I was going to talk about this later anyway. I was saying how the Lakers depth has been a surprise to us all. Everyone sort of thought it's a two man team here, but the depth is so, but the depth's working. So now at the moment, the, the bench is working because of Rondo starting that offense. Yes. I will give you that, that his, his three point shooting has been great. And that you need your role players, especially because AD and LeBron, while they can both shoot, they're mainly most effective uh, near the basket. So you really need your your Rondo and your KCP and Danny, anyone, all of them around them to be able to hit the threes. And it has been great for Rondo, who's not known as a great shooter, to be hitting those threes in this series. So good on him for that. But anyway... The Lakers, they're too good, man. Simple as that. <laughs> uh, so before we move on, let's do one of our big announcements here, JL. Uh, first big announcement. For the next couple of weeks, instead of doing our one weekly podcast like we have been doing, we're going to be recording a podcast after every single NBA Finals game. So that starts on Wednesday US time, Thursday Australian time after game one of the NBA finals we're going to jump on record a a quick 15-20 minute podcast then edit it quickly upload it that same day and it'll be there for you and we'll be doing that after every NBA finals game how you feeling about that task JL? I mean I hope our millions of listeners are going to be praying for me and thinking about me having to put up with you every second day um but also, I should be apologising to them to have and listen to us babble every second day. So, nah, but it will, it will be good fun to analyse those games and spit some hot takes and talk some rubbish as always. And hopefully the Lakers don't end it in four because it would be nice for a seven-game series every couple of days to to hear your voice, JL. Your, your voice keeps me going through life. You can always call me anytime, Nave. <laughs> but yeah, a podcast after every NBA Finals game Please join us wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be there shortly after each game. But JL, let's uh, move on. Let's get to the 2020 NBA Finals. The Los Angeles Lakers, the Western Conference Finals champions against the Miami Heat, the Eastern Conference Finals champions. Who would have thought? I know you love talking matchups. Let's go through it. Well, it's an interesting one because the Lakers are still trying to play tall. Well, at least when they're starting the games tall, I should say, at least. Um, so in terms of the, the positions, we sort of got the guard spots. We've got Green and Caldwell Pope against Dragic and Duncan Robinson, who's been a nice surprise these playoffs. At the wings, we've got James, or LeBron James, I should say, because no one, <laughs> no one knows him as James. Uh, LeBron against... Butler and Crowder, and then you've got Davis and then either McGee or Howard, depending who they start. If you were starting McGee and they've sort of gone towards Howard at the end of that series there in the West against Adebayo. Um, obviously, the Lakers are a lot more... We'll have the, have the star power there, but I don't really know who's going to sort of defend it, defend the wing positions there. Obviously, LeBron will probably, probably try and take Crowder, which means you're probably putting... AD on Butler, which I wouldn't want to get him into foul trouble early. So I don't know. It's just an interesting one for the starters, but we do know that the Lakers always like after the first few minutes, try and sub out 
Mickey or Howard, and then they'll go small. They'll probably chuck in Caruso or Kuzma. Uh, Morris is playing some good minutes there as well, and then that sort of helps the matchups a bit better in terms of favoring the Lakers. I think that the Lakers are going to win this series one way or another. I've made it pretty clear. But I do think that it's going to be on Miami's terms, if you know what I mean. I think that the Lakers, they may not start small, but I think eventually they're just going to be having to match Miami's size the whole way through. I think that the Miami zone is going to be up for the whole series. I don't think that that heat zone defense is uh, going to be retracted by Spolster at all. I was going to say the opposite. Looking back, the Miami didn't really run the zone against Indiana or Milwaukee. And I know Milwaukee was all about building the wall rather than playing zone. So it was a bit of a different story. And Indiana didn't really have, you know, the, the I guess the offensive talent that Boston did. So, you know, that it's it's hard to compare, sort of like comparing apples to oranges there. But the best player I've ever seen play in terms of breaking a zone would be LeBron. You know, all you need to defend to beat a zone is to be able to drive through the you know, break that that first line, which LeBron will do with ease, or pass through it or shoot around it. And LeBron, yeah, he's not the best shooter, but those first two, no dramas there. And then the next best way to beat a zone is have a tool that can offensive rebound that can shoot from the outside and can work in the post. And that's AD. So in terms of the best two ways to defeat a zone, they've got the best two players to do so. And I reckon Miami's going to have to run man to man more often than not this series to try and defend the Lakers. I just think that, and granted, I'm not as tactical nor tactically minded as you, but the Miami Heat aren't where they are right now because they've got the the best side one to five. They are there because of their tactical approach and their their swarming defense bullshit. Everyone does their part stuff really well, better than anyone else. They just everyone steps up when their name is called. Yeah. If they go man to man, the the Lakers will will murder them. You know, so I think that they're going to still play their their zone style defense. There's going to be a lot of communication. If if someone has to beat you, make it hard for them to beat you. And talking uh, LeBron against the zone, I I got to say I haven't actually seen or studied LeBron against a zone defense much in my sort of uh, NBA watching time. But in my imagination, I would I would assume that. You need to be a bit more agile than LeBron is to drive and and slice through a zone. And so I think he's going to be passing really well through the zone and and out of it. But I don't think it's going to be too joyous of a time dealing with this uh, Miami zone defense. He'll definitely be passing first. But I think what you've got to remember is that it's not just about you know, having the ball in your hand and trying to have a dribble combination to get past it. It's moving off the ball, which when LeBron does it, he's a lead at, but also moving as the pass is coming to, to you. So there's a good chance that, you know, he'll pass off to, to AD or whatever. And then that's when he'll go get the ball on the run as the defense slides across. And that's the best way to break through, you know, the, the three up top. So that's going to be a good one to watch. And then I was sort of also sort of interested to um, 
just think about how the um the guard matchup will be because watching the watching Miami beat the Celtics, Dragic and Hero require so much attention on defense. You can't leave them open for three, and they're so crafty at getting inside. So yeah, Green, KCP, Rondo, Caruso, they can all sort of take a few minutes here, but they're not elite defenders by any means. Um so I think that's going to be one to watch. I reckon for Miami to win, even just a few games here, because like you, I'm, I'm heavily siding the Lakers. I think that those two need to be really aggressive, which gets me to one of my favorite things, LeBron defending point guards. Now he did it at the end of game four against the Nuggets, um, taking on Jamal Murray. And it reminded me of the 2011 conference finals against Chicago. Um, LeBron was guarding D-Rose at the end of the games and just watching someone his size move, I just love it. So fingers crossed we can see that sort of side of LeBron locking down the defense and trying to take smaller guards. Yeah, it's going to be uh, intriguing. I think it's fair to say that Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero and players like that, you know, like your Clay Thompsons and your JJ Redick and all those types if they're on fire, because of their movement off the ball, there is nearly no way to stop them and stop them from getting those shots up. I feel like Miami can find wins in this series by... Obviously, they need to play at their absolute best, but if they sort of... If the Lakers let the, let the game get away from them, that, if you know what I mean, if Miami are up 15... You know, Lakers put their head down, they look up again soon, and then Lakers are down 30, game's over. But the thing is, if my if that happens and Miami take a game, for the next two games minimum, LeBron is just going to explode. Which leads me to my prediction. The Lakers in five. Give me one number. Five. I want to say six. But as I just said, once Miami take one, that'll be the nail in their own coffin. LeBron, AD, and even the other role players, just as we've seen in all the three series that they've lost games in this playoffs, they'll come out, they won't do it again, and they'll put the foot down and they'll take it out easily. And I've, I've, been, I've been drilling this in for so long now, and I mentioned it earlier, three-point shooting creates so much more variance in results. Just because, like, you can play the perfect game and teams are going to put up 35 threes and on a good day, they're going to hit 15 of them sort of thing. But there's going to be games where they put up 45 and they hit 23. And there's just nothing you can do about it. You play perfect defense and if teams are hitting tough three-pointers, it's pretty much game over. The game's so reliance on teams hitting threes threes now. And as we saw all regular season, as we saw during the playoffs, Miami's been, what, the second best three-point shooting team in the regular season, the best in the playoffs. If they get hot, which I think will happen at least once, you know, Robinson is probably the best catch-and-shoot shooter I've seen outside Clay and Steph ever. Like, he's just automatic. Hero is great. Dragic is great. Crowder, when he's on... I've seen him in Boston. He doesn't miss at times. Iguodala, who's a 32% three-point shooter, just went and shot four from four against the fucking Celtics. Yeah, just my <laughs> luck. But <laughs> when they're on, it's you know there's just nothing you can do if you're beating to beat a team with their shooting well. So 
I'm expecting Wyoming to take one. There's a good chance they take two, but look, I cannot see this going to seven at all. And I think the Lakers should just, I think LeBron will feast given that he's going to be guarded by Jimmy. He's going to be doing a fair bit of the work on offense um, and Crowder, I suppose. So look, I, I think you realistically, it should be Lakers in five, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just go out to six. So let's get on to that big second announcement that we have to make. And here it goes. We will be running our first ever giveaway competition. So stay tuned on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but mainly Facebook, the Bronx Cheer Basketball. The prize that we will be giving away, JL, is the Lakers Black Mamba Edition jersey. How can I win this jersey, Nave? <laughs> you may have seen AD hit a huge game winner in game two against the Nuggets. They were wearing that black snakeskin print jersey. It first came out um, in 2017, but the Lakers and Nike have brought it back in dedication to Kobe this season. It's a beautiful jersey. It, yeah, it's called the Black Mamba Edition jersey, but this particular one has number eight on the front and number 24 on the back with Bryant as the name. It was sold out essentially immediately by Nike. LeBron James happened to wear it pre-game. It's very hot property. You do not want to miss this. Make sure you stay tuned to our social media pages, especially Facebook, and you find out how you can win that special jersey. Very exciting, JL. Yeah. um, I want to try and make some fake accounts and win this jersey because it's bloody nice and it's a good tribute to Kobe who was... Yeah, I hated him at times because he played for the Lakers and he beat the Celtics, but what a player, what a man. So I'll be doing my best to try and snatch that one from you. And we're doing this to celebrate the NBA Finals and the Lakers winning the championship. And <laughs> yes, I did just say that the Lakers are winning the championship. I I was going to try and come up with a way to turn a corner with that sort of statement, but it's simple. The Lakers have got it, man. And and I wanted to run this competition before the hammer comes down on this NBA season. So I guess that wraps it up there. We'll leave the random player debate for another time. I guess I'll speak to you Australian time Thursday. The NBA Finals Game 1 starts on Wednesday US time. But yeah, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Uh, Thursday our time. I'll, I'll speak to you then. Look, it's been a... Uh... A roller coaster of a day, having to watch the Celtics lose and then enjoying a bit of sunshine and having to put up with you. But overall, it's uh, it was good fun and looking forward to Thursday. All right, chat to you then. Cheers, mate. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show. As mentioned, we had two big announcements today with the NBA Finals podcasts happening after every NBA Finals game. So make sure you're ready after game one, wherever you are, whatever day it is, we'll be uploading a podcast straight after that. We're going to record after it and then upload within a couple of hours straight after. Also, do not miss the competition giveaway that Kobe Bryant Lakers Black Mamba edition jersey is very hot property. Make sure you go check us out and follow us and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And on our socials, we'll be running those comp- that competition to see who we can give out the very special Lakers Kobe jersey. 
If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, it really helps the show if you can give us a review and a five-star rating. We are on every podcast app, so if you want to recommend us to a friend, that'd be great. And they use a different podcast app. Just send them to wherever they listen to their podcasts. We're there as the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show, just like everywhere else. We're really looking forward to the NBA Finals. We'll uh, we'll talk to you after Game One.